Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Bob Shogren using the God-given traits of cats and dogs to show us how to rightly relate to God. And she said, oh, I got a joke from your sister. I said, oh, mom, tell me the joke. She's living with us and at the dinner table, she says, oh, a dog says you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. A cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, love me. I must be God. Right. When I heard that joke, I dropped my mouth and I said, Mom, that's it. That's the church. Bob Shogren, next. Bob Shogren, the president of Unveiling Glory, says the God-given traits of cats and dogs are often similar to certain theological attitudes held by many Christians in their view of God and their relationship to Him. Bob Shogren and Gerald Robison have written Cat and Dog Theology, Rethinking Our Relationship with Our Master. Bob Shogren is our guest today. Bob, the book was written about 20 years ago. So how did this idea of cat and dog theology first occur to you? Well, the concept uh, has, uh, was with me a long time, and that is that we, the church, tend to focus on what God wants to do for us, not what we can do for God. And so without realizing, we become very self-centered in our Christianity. And so I try to communicate that in a lot of ways, uh, and uh, people kind of got it, but it was too difficult to share at the office or the next day at work, so... It was just kind of powerful. And then my mom, who ended up living with us after my father died, mm. my mom was uh, 86 or seven years of age. And she said, oh, I got a joke from your sister. I said, oh, mom, tell me the joke. She's living with us. And at the dinner table, she says, oh, a dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God. A cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, love me. I must be God. Right. When I heard that joke, I dropped my mouth and I said, mom, that's it. That's the church. We think we're God. We think God lives for us. So I switched all of my teaching that was already moving in that direction to cat and dog theology, and it began to spread uh, organically on its own, and it actually went around the globe. The book is in about, I don't know, 14 different languages, and uh, people are understanding that life is about the glory of God. It's not about them. So that's kind of how it all started and got kicked off was through a joke from my mom. And what kind of uh, response have you gotten to it? I mean, it's been about 20 years. It's been out there. It's worldwide. I know you have other curriculum for homeschoolers oh, and other things. 98% of the people love it because it helps them clarify uh, that what life is about. I just, had a, I just got off the phone with a woman from Kenya two seconds ago before mm -hmm. you called. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, she calls me dad. I'm her adopted dad mm -hmm. by her standards. So... <laughs> She says, Dad, I shared with these people, I said, I'm not just a mother. I'm a mother who raises kids to the glory of God. And she said, all the other, she said, I came back the next week to this group. It's a group that we've been meeting with. And the mothers came up and just said, what you said changed our whole perspective. Another man came up to her and said, you've changed my whole marriage. Our whole house has joy now because now we realize we are here for the glory of God. Uh, and so 98% positive. There's a few strict cat lovers who are not too excited about it. And uh, so it kind of turns them <laughs> off. But uh, no, it's a very overwhelming uh, positive reception to the message. Yeah. And as you said, you're not in any way uh, criticizing either of these uh, beloved animals, but you're just kind of pointing out some 
characteristics that many people who are familiar with either or both of them uh, can kind of understand and put a smile on our face and yet also cause us to kind of think. So you're saying you have found this to be a very effective way to teach biblical truth. Yeah, I mean, uh, one gentleman who, uh, you know, has traveled internationally just said, I'm going to just show up in the Philippines. And so uh, he had two weeks, but he only had one engagement the very first time. And the guy was just like, well, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hear what you have to say. Once he heard the message, his schedule was booked for the solid two weeks. I mean, they kept him going nonstop. That pastor called every pastor he knew and said, you've got to hear what this man has to say. Uh, because it's refreshing that we, we don't realize how, how moldy, I guess, our theology mm. is when we begin to think life is about us. God is here to serve us. God does everything for us. It gets very stale. It gets very self-centered. And we get stuck in this self-centered Christianity that most non-Christians are rejecting because they can smell the self-centeredness of it. Mm. Is there a, a scriptural foundation that is a, a bit of a springboard that parallels this, this idea of cat and dog theology? Yeah, I, the primary one I would say is John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Let me give you the context. Jesus is basically one day away from going to the cross. He's with his disciples. He's telling them, guys, I really don't want to do this. This is going to be painful, but it's the whole reason I came. I've got to go through with it. He said that in verse 27 to his disciples. The first word in verse 28 is Father. It's very key. 99% of all theologians overlook it. Why is it so key? Because he's changed his audience. And because he's changed his audience, he's now talking to his Heavenly Father, whereas before he was talking to his disciples. Now, what I say to my audiences as I travel around the nation speaking is, look, I got a question for you. How many of you have little kids? They all raise their hands. Do you talk to your little child the same way you talk to your spouse? No, of course not. I said, I don't care if we're 120 years of age. To an eternal God, we're like a little child. And I want to challenge you that Jesus says one thing to us, but what he says to his father, if it's different, we need to pay attention to it. And so he's one day away from the cross. He's about to be crucified. One of the worst deaths any human can endure, death on a cross. We all know it's, it's, uh, it's not the nails that kill him. It's paralysis of the muscles. He suffocates a slow suffocation. It's one of the worst deaths. He's about to do it. He's about to talk to his heavenly father. So I say to my audiences, do you think Jesus is going to talk to his heavenly father about the primary reason for why he's going to the cross or a secondary reason? Mm. Well, they all say primary. I said, I would agree, primary. I said, what he does not say speaks volumes. What does he not say? He does not say, Father, save these kind, wonderful, worthy people from hell. They don't deserve it. In fact, he didn't even mention us. Hmm. <gasps> he didn't mention us? I thought it was all about us. Nope. Jesus' death was not primarily about us. What did he say? He said, Father, glorify thy name. The true driving passion that put Christ on the cross was to restore the Father's glory to creation because it was damaged in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, when the ground was cursed, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And so... This is a process of A, restoring the glory of the Father, and then B, getting to live out the glory of the Father and what the Father wants to do for all of eternity future. Once you realize it's not about us, it was primarily about the glory of the Father, it changes everything. 
You name any area of life, and I can turn it into cat theology, and I can turn it into dog theology. Because it's very simple. Is your work for you, or is your work for the glory of God? Is your marriage for you, or is your marriage for the glory of God? Is your parenting for you, or is your parenting for the glory of God? Is your driving for you, or is your driving for the glory of God? The way you dress, is it to draw attention to you, or is it to draw attention to the glory of God? You name any area. And I'll turn into cat and dog theology, because it asks a simple question. Is it about us? Or is it about God? Well, the book is Cat and Dog Theology, Rethinking Our Relationship with Our Master. I'm talking with the author, Bob Shogren. He is president of Unveiling Glory. And Bob, just shifting back to the, the cat and dog issue for just a moment, those that have uh, either of these animals or both uh, understand it uh, just almost intuitively. But you, one thing you write in the book is that we can learn a lot about our relationship with God by looking at the way that cats and dogs greet people. Uh, if you will, their master, when they return home. Yeah, there, there's two main jokes that I use, trying to get my audience laughing. Uh, one, when I when I drive up in my car and our dog hears it, she runs outside, barks around in circles. She's going crazy. She's so excited. I open the car door. She puts her front paws up on the driver's seat. I scratch behind her ears. Her tail goes a thousand miles an hour. I know my dog loves me. But when I walk into the house <laughs> where my cat is, he doesn't even acknowledge me. If he does, he looks up and says, you woke me from a nap. What are you doing? <laughs> and that's the only reception that I get from my cat. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is when they want to go outside, my dog barks. I open up the door. She runs outside. When my cat wants to go outside, he sits at the window, looks out. I say, oh, you want to go out? I open the door. He slowly gets down, gets right to the door, stops, sits down, looks outside, looks inside, looks outside, looks inside. I said, do you want to go out or not? Finally, I kick him out. That's the same way it is. You know, are, are we serving the cat or are, is the cat serving us? Uh, are we serving God or is God serving us? Most people want a God who serves them. Their Christianity is designed for God. I need this. I want this. Help me here. Help me there. And so the same analogy uh, is brought about through that. I'd like to ask just by way of a definition, Bob, it's a word that, that you've used quite a bit and that we use frequently in the Christian life, but we, I think we have a good idea of what it means, but that of glory or glorify God, what is meant by that? I just define glory in very simple terms, anything that makes God look good, anything that makes God famous. So I have, I've got a, my Muslim friend upstairs, he comes down every day and I say to him and he says to me, go make God famous today. That's how we greet each other. Go make God famous. Mm. Live for the glory of God. Live to make God famous. And so anything that a sunset, that makes God look good. That's the glory of God you're seeing. A parent holding a child and loving on that child or a family walking hand in hand, that pleases God. That makes God look good. You're seeing the glory of God. A butterfly flying in the wind, you're seeing the glory of God and what he delights in and what makes him look good. So the glory of God, in my simple terms, is anything that makes God look good uh, is the glory of God. And it sounds like with that kind of a mindset that it also kind of governs our, our conversations, the kind of things that we maybe we will or we won't talk about. Absolutely. Is what you're saying going to make God look good or is it going to tear God's reputation down? Are people going to look at you and say, why did you say that? Or are they going to say, you know what, that really encourages me. Two different types of, of conversation. Uh, is, is our conversation glorifying God or glorifying ourselves? Uh, we just, <laughs> I played basketball with my 30-year-old sons, 
and uh, we're on a team and uh, we lost. Uh, we know we actually beat the team, an undefeated team, uh, because their star player only came at halftime. And so we were up by 20 points and we won by four. Uh, we held them off long enough, but the, the guy, the star player said, oh, if I'd have been here the whole time, we would have blankety blank blank. And I just said, that poor guy's hurting. He's just hurting. Uh, and because it was all about him, uh, he, he didn't know how to lose in a, in a classy way. It was just all about him. And our conversation communicates, is it about us or is it about God? When we lose, Way to go, you guys. Great game. You guys played awesome. You are amazing. That's how we lose. Mm -hmm. Build the other people up. Why? That makes God look good. That makes people say, who are these people that would compliment us in a loss? So conversation, yes, cat conversation or dog conversation. Well, Bob, there are a number of areas that you look at uh, in, in your book, Cat and Dog Theology, contrast between the cat and the dog theology and these two concepts as, as you've described them to us, things like uh, prayer and salvation, blessings and missions. Is it possible to take a look at each of those and how the, the dog or the cat orientation... Sure. Um, and, and keep reminding me each of those topics. Prayer, number one, prayer. Am I praying for my kingdom or God's kingdom? Am I praying so that what God can do for me, or am I praying what I can do for God? And so, uh, you know, get an inheritance. Are you going to pray, how can I use that? Or, God, what can I do with this money for your kingdom? It's a, it's a totally different prayer of what God wants. Uh, secondly, what was the second one that you talked about? Salvation. Salvation. Yeah, a cat is walking away from hell. Mm -hmm. They say hell is over there. They're facing hell. They're walking backwards toward heaven. They're saying, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Where are they focused? Yeah, They're focused on themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas a dog turns 180 degrees, he's facing heaven, and he says, I found someone who's so beautiful, who's so glorious, who's so amazing. I love this God and I want this God, and they're walking toward heaven. Those are two different, two totally different types of salvation. Most Christians are walking away from hell. They prayed a prayer to get some fire insurance, and they've never seen that it was about the glory of God to begin with. You said two other topics. What were they? Blessings and missions. And maybe the blessings, of course, would fall perhaps in the issue of inheritance, but maybe there's more to yeah, that. Yeah, I mean— Blessings. Is it God bless me or God, who can I bless today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I be a blessing to today versus God, I need this and want this and want this. And then in, in missions, um, you know, is it just local missions? God, we're just going to help people in our community or is it global? Are we seeking to take his glory to all peoples, all tongues, all tribes, as our Lord commanded us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20? So, yeah, cat missions are very close to home, very much self-centered. Cats say, why should we go overseas when we have so many needs right here? And they miss that, A, it's about the glory of God. B, God's glory will shine the greatest when there are people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And so the primary driving force for world evangelization is not to reach the lost, the primary driving motivation is to bring our father the greatest glory he could ever have. And that will happen when there are people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. That's our primary reason for doing missions. How about the contrast in how we worship God? You would think that, well, we're, we're all focused on God. 
focused on worshiping him, but yet there is a difference between the cat and the dog. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the, when I, when my, when our children were homeschooled, my wife and I taught cat and dog theology to homeschoolers here. And I had homeschoolers text me, Mr. Shogren, this worship is so caddish. <laughs> we're just singing about ourselves. Hmm. And when you listen to the music, a lot of the music is, look what God has done for me. It's not incorrect, but it's incomplete. Because it's all about, look what God has done for me. He saved me. He broke my chains. He set me free. I've got this. I've got that. He can't. He wouldn't have heaven without me. He wouldn't have heaven without us? No, he was perfectly happy, content without us for an infinite period of time in eternity past. No, he wants relationship, but it's not about us. It's about what God is getting to do, how he's getting to show off his glory by saving us and giving us a relationship with him and then allowing us to rule and reign with him throughout the universe for all of eternity future. So a lot of the music today is very self-centered. It's very people-centered in the words. Uh, and when you stop and think about it, when you just think, who is this song really about? And count the number of I's, the number of me's, and the number of my's. You'll be shocked. And it's like, wow, are, are we really singing about ourselves or are we singing about God? Mm. So, yeah, there is cat worship and there is dog worship. Dog worship just says, "This is we're singing about who God is. I don't care if he's done anything for me. His glory is so amazing. I'm just going to sing how great thou art because it's about who you are. It's not about what you've done for me. And, you know, it always irks me on, so to say, if God didn't do all these things for us, would we still worship him? Mm. Good I've question. I've got to feel like the answer would be no. Because it's not about who he is. It's primarily about us. And so it just, it stops you right in your tracks. Well, it's so helpful. Uh, and it brings a focus to whether or not a person, well, us, are living for God's glory or whether primarily living for ourselves and what we're getting from it. And you said, just kind of help us to define it even further, there are certain symptoms of cat theology. Obviously, you don't have time to talk about all of them, but one I think you've touched on in one way is feel-good theology, that we're looking for, that we tend, and this is going to sound maybe convicting to most of us, but we, the cats and, and uh, people tend to look for safety, comfort, health, those sort of things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, cats have a feel-good theology, a theology that says, does this verse make me feel good? And if it makes me feel good, I'm going to cling to it, I'm going to memorize it, and I'm going to, you know, have it be a part of who I am and what I am. It's a feel-good theology. And so we go to verses, you know, like Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. What most people don't realize is that Psalm 46, verse 10a, it's only a third of the verse. There's another two-thirds of the verse. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. But we never quote that in Psalm 46, verse 10. Why? Doesn't make us feel good. Why? To exalt his name in all the earth, I'd have to get a passport. I'd have to learn a new language. I'd have to trust God for a job overseas or raise support. Or, and all that stuff is way too challenging. And I'm not called to missions. And so as a result, we only 
memorize Psalm 46, verse 10a, the first third of the verse. And, uh, you know, I go to so many homes where it's cross-stitched and put in bathrooms. So Psalm 46.10, be still another them God. I'm like, nope, sorry, that's Psalm 46.10a. That's only a third of the verse. You've missed two-thirds, and it shows me you're only focused on yourselves, what God can do for you. And so we use our Bible like a refrigerator. What do you do when you go to your refrigerator? You open the door, you pull out what you want, and you shut the door because you don't want anything else. That's how we use our Bibles. I want the Bibles, the verses that make me feel good, not the ones that are going to be challenging. I don't want Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. I don't want uh, Philippians 3, I want to suffer like Christ. No, 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 no. I don't want that. I just want the verses that he loves me. He's going to take care of me, and he's going to bless me. So, yes, Christians, many Christians have a feel-good theology uh, in their repertoire. And quite honestly, most pastors only preach feel-good sermons. Why? Keeps the people coming back. So don't preach verses that are hard. Don't preach verses that talk about uh, the difference between being a child of God and being a disciple of Christ. Don't talk about those because it's too costly to be a disciple of Christ. Much easier to talk about being a child of God and all the blessings that come with it. Well, it's interesting, as you point that out, that uh, the, the feel-good theology characterizes the cat theology, and that, that and then, of course, by extension, it influences the way that we respond to things like suffering and persecution, which, of course, are throughout the Bible. Uh, we, we see the, the Christian church, the Apostle Paul, and so on, uh, Jesus himself, but, I mean, suffering and persecution was a part of the lives of and it and still is to this day uh, in other parts of the world, but it, it, it affects the way in which we, we approach it, if that's our theology. Absolutely. Suffering, what does a cat say? God, get me out of this. What's a dog say? Lord, use this suffering for your glory, and don't take it away until your glory has shown through me completely. Totally different perspective on suffering. Totally different attitude. I, I wanted to ask you too, Bob, you, you, you point out in your book, and you say it a few times, that, that cat theology, which we're critiquing here, obviously, is not incorrect, but it's incomplete. Yeah, I mean, the fact that God loves us, absolutely he loves us. No one's going to doubt that. A dog will never doubt that. But when you keep saying it so much so that it's about us, that's when you start going wrong. Mm. That's when you say, look, it's incomplete. There's another thing that God, God is a jealous God. God lives to glorify his name. This is all about his glory, what he gets to do. It's not about us and what we get to do. And so when you begin to differentiate between those two things, oh, well, that's when it begins to make a difference. That's when you begin to see the incomplete part has been killing us because we have begun to think, wow, it really is all about us. Uh, and as a result, we begin to develop a theology that God is here to serve us and that it is about us. So the world revolves around us. God revolves around us. Jesus died for us just so he could have us in heaven uh, because he didn't want heaven without us. Well, I mean, that's kind of true, but no, heaven's more about what God gets to do. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, he gets to show off his grace forever and ever and ever. And so it tweaks your whole theology. I have been teaching cat and dog theology now for 20 years plus. Yeah. And in Africa, I teach it a little differently. I call it one degree off. Hmm. I say, you know, if I were to walk from here to my door and I was one degree off, I'm still making it outside. 
if I were to fly around the world and I was one degree off, I'd miss my landing place by 500 miles. If I were to go to the nearest star and I was one degree off, I'd miss that star by 264 billion with a B miles. <laughs> I say, look, the church is 2000 years old. What if we started just one degree off? Where do you think we'd be today? And I think you would, uh, you, a lot of people would say, yeah, where we are today, we've become very self-centered in our Christianity. It is much more about what God can do for us than what we can do for God. Now, that there are many great and wonderful exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. But I have to say the general norm is the church is worried about what the church can get from God, not what the church can do for God. Bob, our time is going very quickly, but I do want to ask, are there any, and maybe you've, you've covered this in some way, but diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves to at least think through where are, are we generally coming from? Where is our relationship with God? Uh, is it leaning toward the dog or the cat perspective? And how can we break out of the, of the self-centered approach? Uh, I think we break out of the self-centeredness by realizing it's not about us. That when we realize it's not about us, we begin to say, oh, if it's not about me, what does this mean? Maybe it's not about me getting that nice car, that nice job, that bigger home, that nicer laptop. That What could I, else could I do with this money? What else could I do with my time? What else could I do in these other areas? And we begin to think through creative things that we could do with our time, with our money that will glorify God, that I was totally never even thought of it before because I never thought it was about the glory of God before. And so that, that concept, this idea that, no, it's primarily about the glory of God, uh, it'll, it'll instantly change a marriage, just like it did in the Kenyan testimony I had about a half an hour ago where the woman said, yeah, my house is totally different because now I realize I'm a husband for the glory of God. I'm not a husband for me. It's not, wife, how can you please me? It's, wife, how can I show you the glory of God in how I treat you? Oh, man. Well, that would change marriages completely. And it changes parenting completely. Here's a typical cat parent, okay? Here's four words that are the mantra of a cat parent. Mm -hmm. Ready? Yep. Do not embarrass me. Those are the four words of cat parents. Don't embarrass, don't get pregnant outside of marriage. Don't do drugs. Don't do, you know, uh, alcohol. Don't get into all these. That's going to embarrass me mm -hmm. as opposed to live for God's glory. That's what a dog says. I don't care what you do. Just do it for the glory of God. So our oldest son wanted to be a sports broadcaster. He went to college to be a sports. We said, fine. That's what you want to do. Do it for the glory of God. And uh, so he went there. And by his junior year, God so caught up with him that he's now working among Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And so totally, you know, but, but we didn't push him into missions. God caught him. We have two kids in missions, two kids that are not in missions. And we're fine with both because they live to glorify God. Mm. And so just a different perspective. Uh, but once you realize it's not about you, it's not about you being happy. It's not about you being this or that. It's about the glory of God changes everything. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Bob Shogren president of Unveiling Glory, and co-author of Cat and Dog Theology, rethinking our relationship with our master. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Craig Borlase, and here, Bruce Hindmarsh on the story of John Newton, 
and his famous song. This song, I think, has come to be a kind of anthem to be sung at times when we just really need uh, need grace. Sung after 9-11, sung after the Swiss Air 111 disaster, sung after the Oklahoma City bombing, sung at all these different times of tragedy when life is its very worst. People realize um, in the midst of wretchedness, um, we need grace, we need mercy, we need forgiveness. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Thank you.